Welcome back to another episode of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. There's no easy decision on where to point our time machine this week as we discuss the twists and turns in the aftermath of that huge 1926 state basketball tournament. An aftermath that, I believe, was a key element, maybe the key element, of a push and pull that had started years before and would last for a decade or more afterwards as the schools and schoolmen of Nebraska tried to decide exactly what kind of state association they would have and, more importantly to us, what kind of basketball tournament they would sponsor. The answers of which shape the way high school sports in Nebraska now work every day. Should we drop into legendary sports writer Greg McBride's office in Lincoln in late March 1926 when a surprising statement from the Omaha High School principals makes its way over the wire? Or should we wander to the first round of the 1927 state tournament and look around and see which schools are surprisingly absent? Or maybe we should eavesdrop on the conversation of schoolmen who rewrite the Nebraska High School Athletic Association Constitution over the next months of 1926, who are either trying to modernize the organization or simply trying to keep it alive. Maybe we should go to Lodgepole or Jonestown or one of the other 27 first-round districts in the incredible 1931 state tournament that arose out of this political maelstrom. Or maybe we should fly to the 1942 state tournament, which can claim the mantle as the first modern state tournament and which is, of course, where all this sturm and drang was headed all along. I think our best bet is to just start where we left off last episode, with Omaha Tech defeating Lincoln High for the 1926 state basketball championship. After the Tech win and the trophy presentation and the pictures, The Texters head back to the big city with a wonderful golden basketball and 21 other teams, winners of classes B through V, board trains headed toward hometowns around the state, many carrying the only state championship trophies their school would ever hoist. Champions like Atlanta in class O, Curtis in class E, Douglas in class K, Max in little class V, Sumner in class L, Virginia in Class T, and Hebron Academy in Class H. Once all were home, over the next week they would read newspaper accounts of the 338-team tournament spectacular, which were generally and specifically glowing. University officials were already planning to go for better and maybe even bigger in 1927 when the Coliseum would be complete, offering a total of six basketball floors and 2,000 lockers, to host even more of the round ball battles right there on Vine Street. The rest of Lincoln would also be ready to go bigger in 27. Two new hotels, the Cornhusker and the Capitol, were scheduled to be up and running to host more teams and fans, and a new gymnasium would be completed at the NU Ag Campus out on 33rd to further improve the tournament facilities. Big tournament cheerleader Greg McBride was also excited about the direction he thought the big basketball carnival meant for the sport in the state. He wrote in the papers, quote, 
Nebraska high schools will play a better brand of basketball next year as a result of the big tournament. Many high school athletes got their first glimpse of the fast basketball last week, and the Cagesters will return home and put into practice some of the tricks and inside stuff they learned from watching the different styles of play. McBride also celebrated the level of fan interest generated. Another quote, Sports fans had their attention turned to basketball throughout the state the past week, and followers of high school athletics will watch the progress of their team with more interest next year when it will be known at the start of the season that the town will be represented in the statewide tournament. Remember that the format for the 1926 tourney had been in question long after basketball practice had begun in those little towns in December of 1925, when those in power the Nebraska High School Athletic Association had to decide whether to keep the 1925 district tournament elimination model that had whittled the state field down to just 96 teams the year before, or return to the all-comers model that the tourney had followed from its inception in 1911 through 1924. By a two-to-one margin, the school leaders had chosen the big tournament, and the NHSAA and the university, and yes, McBride himself, had taken that vote as a mandate and produced a spectacular, and they thought very successful, week of basketball mayhem. As the first two weeks after the 1926 tournament passed, there was much back-patting and congratulating and a lot of planning for more and bigger and better to come. But then, on Sunday, March 28th, everything changed with a three-sentence press statement from the principals of the five Omaha public high schools. The first sentence dropped the bombshell. Whereas the social situation connected with the state basketball tournament has become unwieldy, involving problems beyond the control of our high schools, therefore be it resolved that Omaha Public High Schools hereby declare their intention of entering no teams in the 1927 basketball tournament. The final two sentences of the statement, signed by the principals of North, Tech, Central, South and Benson, as well as OPS Athletic Director Ira Jones, tried to be as non-confrontational and non-blaming as possible. In taking this action, the Omaha Public High Schools expressly wished to state their intention to maintain their membership in the Nebraska State High School Athletic Association. The public school authorities wish to express their friendly attitude toward and appreciation of the splendid efforts for athletics on the part of the university and the State Athletic Association. The Omaha statement was soon supported by Creighton Prep Principal, Father G.M. Sipchin, who said that the Hilltoppers would also skip the next year's state basketball tournament, meaning six of the state's largest and most successful athletic programs were out of state basketball competition. And, that quickly, the euphoria of tournament organizers and boosters was doused with the cold water of the reality that schools which had claimed six of the first 16 state championships and participated in the final game of 13 of those tournaments would not be coming back to Lincoln. And the reason? A nondescript social situation connected with the state basketball tournament. Newspaper men immediately went to work trying to flesh out what exactly that social situation might be. The first stories had nothing on the record except the terse OPS statement, but some background comments with more detail did start to bubble up. 
The Lincoln Sunday Star credits an unnamed Omaha official explaining that the, quote, drinking of alcohol had attained such proportions at the tournament that Omaha could no longer attend. The same official was said to have absolved tournament officials and citizens of Lincoln of any blame, saying the hundreds of Omaha student rooters brought the alcohol and caused the trouble themselves. He also said no players were involved. The same article reminded readers that the schools, through the NHSAA, had voted by a two-to-one margin to expand the tournament, leaving unsaid but evident that the Omaha schools had been on the losing side of that vote. That's our first hint, that there may be more than a social situation at work here. The State Journal tried to uncover the situation through other sources, but Omaha basketball coaches contacted directly smartly declined to comment, at least at first. And a quick survey of Lincoln sites that hosted teams and fans uncovered no salacious stories. In an interesting twist, the leader and one of the most important actors in this drama was out of town. Nebraska Athletic Director H.D. Gish, who had been the primary university spokesman during the run-up to the tournament, was in Manhattan, Kansas, visiting family. In 1926, that put him out of easy reach for newspapers seeking comment. He wasn't expected home until late Monday night. In the 1920s newspaper world, there would be a newspaper morning and evening editions to file before then. The papers turned then to John Selleck, NU Athletic Financial Manager. His contributions to tournament planning had primarily been in preparing the new Coliseum for the influx of activity. He described the OPS statement as a, quote, bolt out of the blue. He said the university had been flooded with praise from letters pouring into the department as people said it was the quietest and most orderly tournament in years. He described NU and NHSAA Board of Control members' visits to hotel lobbies during the tournament where they found no problems at all. Selleck confidently told the papers, quote, The 1926 tournament was the cleanest and largest we ever had. There were no reports reaching me upon which the Omaha principals could have predicated their action. He also said he had interacted directly with the OPS athletic director and had had heard no complaints. Another quote, Mr. Ira B. Jones, athletic director of the Omaha schools, seemed so well pleased with everything during the tournament. We had no intimation that there was anything in the air like this. Selleck wondered what this meant for Omaha participation in the state track meet at NU in May. Spoiler alert, and maybe a clue, the Omaha schools would never miss a state track meet. The next stakeholders in the big tournament to be heard from were Lincoln community members, specifically some businessmen who, of course, had profited from all the young people pouring into the capital city for the big tournament. The manager of the Lincoln, a hotel just west of campus at 9th and P, told the papers, quote, There was no rowdiness of any kind. The boys on the winning team were not even boisterous. The manager of another downtown hotel, the Lindell, made essentially the same statement, according to the State Journal. Another Lincoln organization with stake in the tourney, the YMCA, was also heard from. W.A. Luke, the secretary of the Lincoln Y, told the newspaper men that the charges were laughable. He said that he made a specific effort during the tournament to keep informed on the conduct of contestants and fans because his organization sponsored another big statewide gathering of students in Lincoln, the High White Convention in the spring. 
He told the papers, quote, I, I would say the conduct this year was a big improvement over that of earlier tournaments. I have been in position to know because we have had men stationed at various places for that purpose. Clear from all these comments is that there were certainly worries before the event about the behavior of the students gathered for the tournament. One wonders, in fact, were there any middle-aged Lincoln men at home during the tournament, or were they all wandering the streets through the night doing morality checks? But just as clear is that the Lincoln men thought the students had passed that test. Luke, the Y man, then brings some humor to his argument. Quote, I might cite an instance that happened during the 1923 tournament when the legislature was in session here. Our men were told that a bunch of high school boys were gambling in a hotel room. We investigated and instead found a group of legislators. He added he thought the Omaha principals had probably heard some exaggerated report and acted upon bad information. I think at this point, the Lincoln hope is that they will quash these rumors of a Lincoln-based teenage Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Omaha principals would rescind their order. As more comments start to trickle into the five daily, sometimes multiple edition, newspapers serving Lincoln and Omaha in the 1920s, we see ripples, though, of other issues that may not have made the principals' terse statement, but obviously inform the situation. Someone finally gets a basketball coach on the record. Omaha South mentor James Patton. He says coaches were not consulted in the decision, but that the decision is probably just as well because the out-of-state schools were planning a conference that would exclude Lincoln and Omaha. He's obviously talking about an issue that has nothing to do with the moral or immoral behavior of teenage fans after basketball games, but it's definitely one that he thinks is germane. Here's where I tell you that I've buried my thesis, and it is this. The Omaha withdrawal from the state basketball tournament in 1926 is just one small symptom of an era of big change in high school athletics that's going to set the course for almost everything we now know about how Nebraska competition is organized, supervised, and conducted. Packer coach Patton thinks Omaha should get out of state competition not simply because of moral degradation, but because he expects the biggest of the outstate schools are trying to exclude Omaha from them anyway. He's probably talking about the Mid-State Conference, which will crown a football champion, York, in the fall of 1926. Eight of the biggest outstate schools will come together, Hastings, Grand Island, Norfolk, Fremont, Beatrice, Columbus, Kearney, and York, and try to organize league play. Fairbury will join by basketball season and Crete a couple years later. That is a powerful 10-school consortium that Coach Patton, and I think we can assume many of the other Omaha sportsmen, feared would take control of the Nebraska sports scene. And it isn't the only one. Conferences make their first appearance in Cornhusker High School conversation in the 1920s. Out West, Curtis, Gothenburg, Holdridge, Lexington, McCook, and North Platte are playing in the Southwest Conference starting in the fall of 1928. Before all this, in 1925, the Frenchman Valley League forms in the southwest corner of the state. Colbertson, Imperial, Palisade, Stockville, Trenton, and Juanita, along with the McCook High Reserve teams. In another corner, uh, the southeast conference of Falls City, Humboldt, Pawnee City, Peru, Prep, and Tecumseh is playing football in 1926. Now, as modern sports fans, we are ready to say to Coach Patton and his Omaha coaching buddies, hey, What are you worrying about? Conferences are just a way of scheduling. No problem. 
But in the 1920s, they were new. And you know how Nebraskans deal with things like that. Uh, Joking aside, they were also seen as a new and to many a more just and logical way to determine champions, even to the extent that maybe they made state championships unneeded and unfair anyway. In the 20s, the state association had been crowning state football champions. No, not like they started doing in 1975 with a playoff bracket, but instead with one game, one game a year organized by the school's and sometimes the newspapers, between the two teams the common wisdom said were the best. Lincoln High had claimed such a title in the December of 1925 with a win over North Platte. Gothenburg would beat Crete in Hastings in the fall of 1926 for the same type of title. In 1924, it was Omaha Tech down in Cambridge for the NHSAA championship in a reversal of a similar title game in 1920 when the Trojans from out west had beaten the bookkeepers of what was then called Omaha Commerce. A champion officially recognized by the NHSAA was crowned almost every year going back to 1912. But as this controversy about Omaha and state basketball popped up in the papers in March of 26, there had already been a lot of talk of ending that football process. People said it was too political, that the choice of the two teams would never be fair, and that conferences were a better way of determining champions anyway because of direct competition. Those arguments obviously weren't limited to the gridiron. If conferences determined better and fairer champions, and more of them making more schools happy. In football, why not in basketball too? As unthinkable as this concept is to us now, maybe, thought some schoolmen of 1926, there just shouldn't be a state basketball tournament at all. Another spoiler alert, that idea is going to come to a statewide vote before this story is over. So, Now that we are seeing that there were some strands of hidden politics, let's go back to the papers, where the moral issues are still getting most of the ink. The World Herald gives the story front-page banner headline treatment. Omaha quits state cage tourney. And they have a few more unnamed sources with details to raise the stakes. Girls. An unnamed principal describes wild conduct on the part of some students and outsiders, including liquor and, God forbid, the actions of some girls who went unchaperoned as causes of it all. Another unnamed observer is sourced claiming to have seen four girls drinking from a bottle in a Lincoln Hotel hallway. The same observer says the girls were ejected from the building. Well, now it's getting real around here. Both of those sources go out of their way to push the principal's version that repeats that no basketball players were accused of anything and to continue to absolve the university and the state association of any blame. In the same article, we do get our first statement from an individual principal, Dwight Porter of Tech. Unsurprisingly, he's much less alarmist than the unnamed sources. He describes the decision as primarily precautionary in nature. Quote, the crowd attending the tournament has grown so large that it is impossible to handle the situation, which has grown worse and worse. In such large crowds, there is bound to be some who misconduct themselves. It is not fair to the students as a whole to subject them to possible censure because of the acts of a comparative few. 
When the plan of holding district tournaments was in effect, with the final game played in Lincoln, the crowds were small enough for the teachers, chaperones, and officials to handle the situation. But under the statewide tournament plan, it is beyond our control. It is not an athletic matter to be considered, but an educational one. Unquote. Obviously, Principal Porter didn't want to get down in the mud with stories of hotel lobbies, liquor bottles, and young ladies. He just wanted to paint this as the only logical educational decision that could be made. No fun, but understandable. The fun gets going again, though, in that same World Herald story, thanks to some amazing new technology, the long-distance telephone call. The paper evidently gets Mabel down at Ma Bell to plug in the correct series of wires and raises NU Athletic Director Gish all the way down south in that faraway locale of Manhattan, Kansas. Their use of cutting-edge tech pays off as they get some pretty feisty quotes out of the university's top sports official. Gish begins with his shock at the Omaha announcement, quote, I can't understand such a move. I, I was given to understand by Omaha coaches who attended the tourney that everything was highly satisfactory, better than ever before. Gish told the World Herald that he would come to Omaha immediately to investigate the situation and intimated that he felt, quote, external forces had influenced the principals. He continued to explain that this flew in the face of conversations he had with Omaha men at the event. Quote, Coach Schmidt of Central, Ernie Adams, and Jim Drummond of Tech were especially eloquent in their praise of the tourney. They declared that they had witnessed no untoward acts by either the pupils or members of the teams. And, of course, it turns out he was also prowling the Lincoln streets in the dark of night during the tournament. Quote, With Ira Jones, director of athletics in the Omaha schools, I went the rounds of the hotels at night. We spent until 3 o'clock in the places where the teams and pupils were lodged. At the biggest hotels, the quiet of a cemetery reigned. This goes for any hour, and even on the night of the final game when Tech beat Lincoln for the championship. Jones was very pleased with the conduct of all the boys. These principals were not there. How can they act as... As they did, why don't they listen to their own coaches? His defiant and incredulous tone continued. I I have letters in my possession, dozens of letters from all sections of the state, complimenting the University of Nebraska on its handling of the tournament. Then he told the paper that he could, as the kids say, get the receipts if necessary, though I'm not sure this rings out as a great argument. Quote, if Omahans think such charges are true, I will get letters from out in the state that will smother such assertions. I can get 20 letters praising the attorney from every one condemning it, and my letters will be authentic. Sure, long-distance phone calls were expensive, but I imagine the World Herald reporter that day was thinking it was all worth it as Gish went on. The three members of the State Board of Control of High School Athletics were unanimous in their extravagant praise of the affairs and declared that the one-tournament plan was far superior to the district system. If there was any drinking done by Omaha boys and girls, it was done going down to Lincoln and on the return trip. Gish wrapped up the conversation with this. The one-state tourney will go on because 99% of the schools in the state favor it. But we do not want to continue without Omaha. But if we must, we will. However, I think there has been a gross misunderstanding and a peddling of misinformation by someone. 
Gish also told the World Herald that he was at a Friday meeting just before this weekend in Omaha, just before the announcement. He probably means the state swim meet at Omaha Tech, and that no one spoke of the tournament except to praise it. On the phone call, he added one more detail, that checks were about to be sent out from NU paying the railroad fares of all 338 teams in the tournament. Ah, money. Could that be lurking underneath this as well? Finances for the world's largest basketball carnival were announced. It ended up significantly in the red. I'm not sure how much of that loss was incurred by the university and the city and how much by the state high schools of the NHSAA. Remember, this was a cooperative effort. I imagine that most of it was shouldered by NU and the city of Lincoln and that they may have thought it was money well spent as they were so focused on using the event to promote the institution and the city. But I know my American history well enough to understand that as this story stretches through the next few years and even decades, those financial stakes are going to get much more dire and can't be ignored for how they affected the decision makers that transformed the Nebraska State Tournament into its modern incarnation. The World Herald continued its long-distance dialing, and we got our first comments from the State Athletic Association. The paper connected with North Platte Superintendent and NHSAA Board of Control member W.J. Brom on the phone. He was firmly in the University and Lincoln camp. Quote, The Omaha principals are victims of a fabrication. The coaches of the Omaha schools, almost all of them, told me personally that they were strongly in favor of the tourney and were very pleased with its conduct. I have been connected with these tourneys for many years. This last one, in which the greatest number of teams were entered, was the cleanest and the best run of all that have been held. And I know what I'm talking about. I have been there. It has been my duty to investigate and watch the conduct of the pupils. I know, too, that 95% of the high schools in the state favor the one-tourney plan and would not consider returning to the district plan, which failed miserably the only year it was tried. Now, a couple things here. First, those stats Gish and Brom threw around, 95 and 99% favorable ratings for the one big tournament, seem a stretch. Remember that the plan was only approved 2-1, to one, 67%, and that it had only been a couple months since that vote. Second, though, he's right. That 1925 district plan was a mess. The district set up where teams had to win a bracket to get to Lincoln. The first such plan in Nebraska, which we know will eventually become the norm, was quite a bit different from what we understand today as districts. In 1925, there were 16 district sites where multiple tourneys were played. Schools could basically choose which site to attend. The organizers of the district then would classify the teams. So at many sites, there was a Class A, Class B, Class C, and Class D tournament. Some sites didn't feature all four classes, and one, Midland College in Fremont, had so many teams that they had five classes. In all, there were 48 brackets statewide which produced two qualifiers each, the champ and the runner-up, for a manageable 96-team field in Lincoln. When those teams were divided into classifications in Lincoln, there were to be six 16 teams brackets at state, classes A through F. Those district classifications were basically thrown out the window. Teams were evaluated as always, with a committee trying to place the top teams in A and recognizing that the classifications in district, different districts were not equal. 
First, only 13 of the 16 Class A district champions were allowed in the top bracket at state. Western A champs Shadron Prep, Big Springs, and Bassett were passed over for district runner-ups from the east, Hastings, Crete, and Creighton Prep. Only two Class B district champs, Meade and Omaha North, were allowed in the Class B field, as most of those spots were taken up by Class A runners-up. Most Class B district champs were in C, but two of them, Creston and North Platte St. Patrick's, were sent to Class D, and one, the Woodlake Longhorns, were shuffled all the way down to Class F. It's not that these demotions seemed unfair, they didn't. District champs Creston and St. Patrick's were both first-round losers in Class D. The committee knew that some districts were just so weak that teams were obviously playing up in classes in which they didn't belong. But that made another argument too easy to make. If runners-up from some districts were so obviously better than district champs in others, weren't there plenty of third- and fourth-place teams left home that were better than the teams at state? No one denied that this had to be true. The newspapers even had a list they agreed on. Omaha Central, Fremont, Lincoln University Place, Geneva, and Grand Island. The newspaper men agreed that not only were these left-out squads better than many or most of the teams at the tournament, even in Class A, but that they would have brought more fans with them if they were included. Games like the second-round Class A mismatch, where Omaha Tech devoured Little Huntley High 33-4 in front of fewer than 100 spectators, just wouldn't have happened. Of course, the Omaha principals a year later are actually arguing that games like Tech versus Huntley were better. Wasn't keeping the crowds down encouraging fans to stay away from Lincoln exactly what they were proposing? It exposes their logic, well-meaning as it may have been, as pretty flawed. Wait, you say, that Omaha Tech-Huntley high game was a second-round game? The Huntley Bearcats won a first-round Class A game? They sure did. They beat Central City 25-13. And here we see some other problems with the 1925 setup. The Bison were surprise winners of the Grand Island Class A district over GI and St. Paul. Central City was originally seated by the committee into Class B at State, but was moved up at the last minute when Norfolk, a Class A district runner-up, backed out of the tourney because of illness on the team. Now, I don't know the exact medical situation of the Norfolk squad. By the way, the papers were calling them the Elkhorns, not the Panthers. But Norfolk wasn't the only school that found a reason, weird as this sounds, to not play in a state tournament for which they had qualified. Before the brackets were even drawn, six teams had dropped out. Chapel in B, Battle Creek in Wausau in D, Pilger in E, and Whitman in Class F had all bowed out. The last three had all won district championships, and most claimed financial hardship kept them home. That meant the brackets, as the first day of the state tournament began, the primary courts were on the state fairgrounds in 1925, had just 90 schools, not 96. But that number would go lower. 14 schools, which were placed in the brackets, didn't even show up for the first-round games. You can look up the 2-0 to forfeit scores in the official records, including six of the 16 teams that had been assigned to the Class F bracket. Kearney and Hebron Academy were no-shows in Class B, 
and Class A was the only intact 16-team elimination in the entire carnival. The 1925 tournament really only drew 76 schools, barely 75% of those which qualified. One can start to see why the Omaha principals would choose to just bow out of future tournaments rather than demand a return to the 1925 rules, no matter the moral dangers they thought the 1926 setup exposed their students to. A return to the 1925 procedures just wasn't a viable option. As the week went on, the newspapers kept digging into the situation. Largely, they just went back and forth between the university, the state association, hotelers in Lincoln, and the Omaha principals. As time passed, tempers cooled, statements were walked back a bit. Benson principal Mary McNamara told the papers, quote, the whole thing is that we thought it was bad for pupils to go where crowds were so large. We have absolutely no concern of the tournament and anybody connected with it. We acted for the protection of the children. Had there been any other reason, we would have said so in our formal statement. And athletic director Gish was tempering his statements that had been interpreted as an intent to go to Omaha demanding answers. He said, quote, a number of interviews credited to me in which I was said to have criticized the actions of the Omaha principals were entirely without foundation. Whether or not Omaha wishes to compete in state basketball tournaments is entirely an Omaha affair. Unless the Nebraska High School Athletic Association decides otherwise, the tournament will continue as before. I intend to be in Omaha and other business in the near future and will probably consult with the Omaha principals in regard to the reason for their action. He made it clear he was not going to go to Omaha and pound his fist on a table, demanding explanations. The newspapers, of course, kept digging. They tried the head of adult probation in Omaha, who said he'd been to several tournaments and saw nothing out of the ordinary. They went to the Lincoln City Jail's matron, and she said there had been no high school girls locked up during the tournament. They did get some more basketball men to go on the record, pointing to non-morality-based problems that may have been factors. Beatrice coach H.H. Johnson echoed Omaha South coach Patton's belief that this was at least partially the school's maneuvering as conferences appeared in Nebraska. Quote, Nebraska high school athletics are traveling rapidly toward the conference system. Already several conferences are in existence and several more are being organized. The Omaha schools are simply preparing for this change. Three coaches, James Drennan of Creighton Prep, Jimmy Johnston of Fremont, and Dwight Thomas of Hastings, said they thought the lack of quality refereeing was probably a bigger factor in the withdrawal than the principals were letting on. Thomas told the papers, quote, In most of the Laurel classes and in about half of the Class A games, the officiating was done by inexperienced men and was not good. Meanwhile, the Omaha principals were coaxed more and more onto the record individually, and they continued to beat the moral drum. R.M. Mars, Omaha South head man, said, quote, We all know what happens when a large number of adolescent boys and girls get to milling around with no particular objective and no thought other than to have a good time. We know, more than we care to know, what goes on at the hotels when young people are together for several days away from home without school training and influence. Central principals, J.G. Masters, went a step further, telling the newspapers, quote, It is a case of too many boys and girls being thrown together with little restraint and beyond the discipline of home or school. There is no group big enough to properly handle them. Boys and girls get together in hotel lobbies and lounge around. Mischief is bound to brew.
He was the first Omaha leader to point out that money might be involved as well. Quote, Another reason for withdrawing, Masters told the World Herald, is the time and expense attached to keeping teams and coaches at a tournament for three or four days. This, as well as the unwieldy crowd, was eliminated under the old district tournament plan. Finally, on March 30, the Omaha Bee, a paper that will eventually be absorbed into the World Herald, will find the story that may well have been at the bottom of it all. They reported that a group of seven Omaha girls and seven boys were discovered to be drinking in a hotel room by a hotel detective and asked to leave. The girls, four from Omaha Tech, two from Central, and one from an Omaha private school that doesn't get named, ended up scattering some to other hotels, and some to stay at the train station. Interestingly, the boys' schools were not identified, and neither was what became of them after the party ended. So perhaps that is the story that started this all. The decision will stick. The Omaha schools won't appear at the 1927 tournament, and except for a strange one-year reprieve in 1931 when the tournament was just weird in lots of ways, we'll get to that in a minute, they will not return until 1935. In the meantime, the state basketball tournament will go through an almost constant set of changes as the NHSAA takes complete control of the event and further defines its own role in state activities, which I think is the real story here. This was a time where the schools were figuring out how high school athletics was going to work, and the Omaha boycott was those schools' way of exerting pressure. Here's how it all played out. To understand how the state tournament was shaped in the aftermath of the Omaha boycott, I'm going to kind of run through year by year. We've already talked about 1925 and and really the disastrous first attempt at districts by the Nebraska State Association. In 1926, even as the big tournament was happening, only about 260 of the 500-some schools competing athletically in the state are members of the Nebraska High School Athletic Association, and more than a few members are behind in their dues. The association is not strong. And remember, they weren't even running their own signature event, state basketball. The university was doing that. The Omaha boycott is a symptom of that weakness and a general lack of specific focus of what exactly a state association should be doing. For the next tournament, in 1927, the members of the NHSAA will not reinstate district qualification as Omaha called for, but they will require teams to win 40% of their games in order to qualify for the tournament, hoping to shrink the size. This, plus the Omaha boycott, reduces the festival to 16 classes and 258 teams. Oh, and the Board of Control eliminates uh, association recognition of state football championship games, a move predicted by those pointing to the rise of conference influence. In 1928, the schools, including Omaha, overwhelmingly approve a new, stronger constitution for the association. The update was badly needed. For example, under the original Constitution, only 11 schools were required to form a voting quorum, ridiculous in a 200-plus member organization that hoped to double in size. The Board of Control was expanded to six members in order to be more responsive to membership, and in perhaps the most controversial measure, age eligibility was changed from 21 to 20. 
In other words, an athlete could play until the day he turned 20, still causing midseason eligibility to haunt some teams. Oh, and I'm good at saying he because the schools also voted, following national trends, to eliminate girls' basketball competition of any kind. They had stopped the girls' state tournament, run by the Havelock Business Association in 1924, uh, but after 1927, they stopped the girls from interscholastic play of any kind, a ban that would remain for 40-plus years. The association further attempts to shrink the state tournament in 1929 by requiring teams to either win or be runner-up in a district or win 60% of regular season games. The percentage requirements for those last two years were partly in place to encourage NHSAA membership and keeping a school's dues paid, as only games against members in good standing would count towards qualification to the state tournament. It was working as membership was growing. The state tournament shrunk to 123 teams in eight classes, but there were over 300 association members now. In December of 1929, the membership approved an updated plan for district qualification for the 1930 tournament, partly eased politically by the 1929 tournament, where almost every team that attended qualified through a tournament instead of the 60% win rule. This was also the first year after the stock market crash that started the Great Depression, and the plan limited travel by having many tournaments spread out geographically, saving the school's money. The opening weekend consisted of 33 district tournaments for all the schools with fewer than 100 students. The winners and runners-up of those brackets advanced to the next week's 15 regional tournaments, where they joined all the schools of 100 or more students. The top two teams from each of those 1930 tournaments, 30 schools, qualified for state. The Board of Control then selected two more teams to round out a two-class, 32-team state tournament. Yes, the first wild cards were handed out by board vote in 1930. Imperial got one, and the other went to Lincoln High. One of those board-chosen slots came to the rescue of Nebraska's high school superpower, Lincoln High. A depleted Link team, with future Husker athlete and coach Bernie Masterson injured, was upset in the regional semis by Jackson High. But Masterson returned for state, and Lincoln High justified the wild card by winning its seventh state title. The 1931 tournament was even stranger in a couple ways. First of all, it was voted out of existence in December of 1929, when the first ever delegate assembly established by the new Constitution voted to make the 1930 tournament the last one ever. Yes, really. The vote wasn't even very close, but some of that seemed to be political wrangling. True to the predictions from 1926, conferences played a part. McCook Superintendent J.A. True introduced the proposal to eliminate state basketball. He told the assembly, quote, We have plenty of basketball through our leagues and conferences. Big schools seemed to lead the charge as legislation favored them, like the eight-semester eligibility rule that stopped the small school tradition of playing eighth graders to fill out thin rosters. Greg McBride reported that even right after the assembly was gaveled closed, the small schools were organizing to bring the tourney back with a referendum in the spring. It didn't even take that long. 
A petition was circulated immediately, and referendum ballots went out in late January. Both the elimination of the state tournament and the banning of eighth grade eligibility would be up for a vote. A two-thirds majority would be needed to overturn the delegate assembly's decisions. The Beatrice Sun, editorializing for the return of the tournament, called the 20-year-old state tradition of state basketball a bumbling ox which had at last begun to attain a little physical coordination and was given promise of becoming a valuable institution. The eligibility rule stood, falling about 100 votes short, but the state tournament was reinstated with eight votes to spare, 30 to 139. Give that a thought for a minute. Change nine superintendents' minds in 1930, and the Nebraska State Basketball Tournament might have ceased to exist. Instead, the tournament survived the existential threat and came out stronger. First, notice the count of that vote. 439 schools were in the association and actively involved in the process. Actually, membership was up in the 500s, making the NHSAA truly a statewide operation. Secondly, the vote not only reinstated the tournament, but made it a wholly NHSAA-run operation. Control would no longer be shared with the university in any way. The schools would run their own tournament. And in 1931, what a tournament they ran. Have you ever seen the movie Hoosiers? What a stupid question. Of course you have. Have you ever wondered what it would be like for Nebraska to host an Indiana-style one-class series of eliminations to determine one state champion? Well, 1931 is that tournament. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 489 teams were placed in one single bracket, which had 12 rounds and began at 28 sites from Alliance to Stella to Indianola to Johnstown. Schools with enrollments of less than 100 were placed in those 28 district brackets in groups of 8 to 16 teams. After those 315 teams were whittled down to 28 winners, those champions, along with their runners-up and a few select 3rd and 4th place teams, were placed into regional tournaments the next week alongside the 168 teams with enrollments over 100 students. 15 regionals, most with 16 teams, produced another four rounds of basketball. Those 15 champions, plus the Omaha City Conference champion Omaha Benson, made up the field for the state tournament. Why did Omaha agree to return? Well, I don't know. (laughs) But there were a couple of factors unique to 1931. It was the smallest state tournament ever. There had been 21 teams in the very first tourney in 1911. And the games were held away from Lincoln. And, of course, it also had all those rounds that Omaha wanted to eliminate uh, all the extra teams. And Omaha didn't have to bother with them. They received special permission to just send their league champion to Hastings. Hastings was an ironic host city, as the Tigers superintendent W.A. Staley had been one of the leading voices proposing the elimination of state basketball at that first delegate assembly meeting a year and a half earlier when they had voted to do just that. Things were even more interesting on the court. As a team that started in those district rounds, Little Nebraska School for the Deaf completed a run of 11 straight wins, three in districts, four in regionals, and four at state to win the 1931 state championship. A true Nebraska Hoosier story. 
The state tournament returned to Lincoln the next year, but state basketball experimentation continued as the schools for the first time were truly divided into two separate classes. Before 1932, classes were really only a seating mechanism, which made brackets at state small enough to be played out in three or four days. The modern idea of classes, divided from the beginning by the size of the school, first happened in 32. The division between the classes was the same as the division of district and regional teams in 1931, 100 students. Schools with more than 100 students were Class A. Those smaller, Class B. Small schools were allowed to opt up to Class A if they wanted, but I'm not sure if any did that first year. Not everyone loved this new system either. Omaha once again didn't participate. They seemed to have wanted their champion automatically qualified again, and the association seems to have balked. They weren't the only ones to opt out in 1932. As the Great Depression worsened, teams in the Loop Valley Conference, Arcadia, Burwell, Sargent, Scotia, Ord, Loop City, North Loop, Comstock, Taylor, and most significantly, 1928 and 1929 state champion St. Paul, opted out because travel to the tournaments was too expensive. The even bigger news was that the Lincoln schools, Jackson, Bethany, Havelock, College View, and the biggest of the big boys, Lincoln High, chose not to participate. Other schools considered opting out, including Crete, who was mulling the question into February. The Cardinals eventually decided to play and ended up as the 1932 Class A state champions. The Mead Raiders became the first Class B champion to win through a closed system where only smaller schools competed. Despite the significant list of teams that didn't participate, the NHSAA was still growing, with over 400 teams in the elimination tournaments. In 1933, the separate A and B classes were continued, and all but the Omaha teams returned. Class B again had 32 districts whose champions faced off in 16 regional finals to determine the state qualifiers. Class A had 16 regions to qualify its teams for state. The threats from the Great Depression still caused tournament havoc. Regionals and state were postponed a week when a federal bank holiday was imposed. The tweaking of the state tournament process continued during the next two years as NHSAA members continued their new class basketball structure but incorporated the wild card idea of 1930. In 1934, Class B would still have 32 district winners who played off to qualify for state. Class A, though, would only have 12 districts. Instead of choosing the additional four qualifiers after the qualifying tournaments, the Board of Control picked four state qualifiers to sit out districts. Lincoln High, the Missouri Valley Conference champion. Hastings, the Mid-State Conference champion. Columbus, the defending state champion. And Grand Island, which battled Hastings for the Mid-State crown into the final week of the season. Opting up was still allowed, and three schools used the rule to play in Class A, Pilger, Harrison, and Minotaur, with Pilger winning its district and qualifying for state. Lincoln High was state champion again, winning the big trophy just like it did in 1930 after not winning a qualifying tournament. The Bellwood Broncos beat Stockham for the Class B crown. In 1935, the Omaha schools returned. 
even though their request for an automatic berth for their champion without competing in districts was not allowed. Instead, a district was awarded to Creighton University, making 13 Class A turnings and reducing these wild cards to three. Inter-city and interstate conference champ Creighton Prep did receive one. Fremont, the interstate runner-up, got another, and Lincoln champ Jackson was the third. Omaha South, which won the Missouri Valley in its first year in the league, and Hastings, again the mid-state titleist, were sent to districts to qualify. Hastings made it through, but South fell to Omaha North in the district semis. The board's decisions looked even better when Fremont and Prep met in the state championship game, with the Junior Jays becoming the second straight wildcard champion. Another factor in luring the Omaha schools back may have been the splitting of the tournament. Class A remained in Lincoln, but the 16 Class B schools played their bracket in Hastings. Meade became Class B's first two-time champ, and Stockham was the runner-up for the second straight year. I don't have Stockham's nickname on my list. Maybe we should call them the Bridesmaids. The 1935 eliminations included 490 teams, a record as the association and its basketball tournament continued to grow through this period of experimentation. The wildcard idea used in 1930, 1934, and 1935 had either been wildly successful or a disaster, depending on your view of the three state champions of those years, all of whom did not win a district. No matter the case, the wild card was eliminated in 1936 and, of course, wouldn't return until 1980. But another big innovation that would stick took place for the 1936 tournament, Class C. For the first time, the state schools were divided three ways, and all three brackets were back in Lincoln. To get to Lincoln, Class A schools, with more than 175 students now, had to finish champion or runner-up in one of eight districts. Class B had 16 districts to produce its 16 state tournament teams. Class C schools, with 75 or fewer pupils, had 32 district champions that had to play off in 16 regionals to make state. The Thayer Tigers beat the Creston Ramblers for that very first Class C state trophy. The final step in creating the modern state basketball tournament happened in the first full year of American involvement in World War II, 1942. Two big changes took place. The schools were divided one more time, creating Class D, and the state tourney field was limited to eight teams in all four classes. In Class A, Lincoln High beat their newly consolidated city rival Lincoln Northeast in the Class A final. Wayne prevailed over Sydney in Class B, while the Culbertson Bears would defeat College View, uh, the suburban Lincoln School, which would eventually become Southeast, for the Class C crown. The inaugural Class D trophy went to the Hampton Hawks over the Sunflower Eagles, a consolidated school outside of Mitchell. That four-class eight-team state tournament set up with straight district qualification remained intact for most of the next 40 years, leaving the late 50s experiment with five classes for a different day. The chaos on the basketball floor and off in 1926 when those 338 teams descended on Lincoln in March and which caused the Omaha principals to hold their schools out of the tournament for nearly a decade kicked off a period of self-examination, controversy, and experimentation 
that led to many of the things we now consider essential to the modern NSAA and its crown jewel, the state basketball tournament. That's it for another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. While waiting for the next episode, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at SuitUpVarsity. We are currently debating the greatest athletes of all times at various schools. Get your two cents in, and maybe we can dig up some pictures of your favorite athlete or team. We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on iTunes or wherever else you find your podcasts. It helps others find our show. Or share one of our episodes on Twitter or Facebook or other social media. Help other Nebraska sports fans find our podcast. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, Episode 26, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by Tate Mays and Trend Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2019.